Hi, and welcome to Nation State of Play. I'm your host, Brian Miller. In each episode of this podcast, we explore high-impact topics determining the future of our nation state. Our guest today is Rachel Michelin, head of the California Retailers Association. Rachel runs one of the largest trade associations in California, and her members are on the front lines of the economic crisis gripping our state. Rachel joins us to discuss the state of the economic reopening in California, the current landscape of tax increase measures on the November ballot, and what exactly it is or is not that the governor's economic task force is doing. Well, Rachel, thanks so much for being on the show today. Great to have you with us. Great. Thanks for having me. Could you tell us a little bit about your organization and, and the scope of who you represent? Sure. So California Retailers Association, uh, we represent kind of what our name says, um, all aspects of retail in the state of California. Um, our members range from your large kind of national brands, big box stores, online marketplaces, to regional retailers, all the way down to small uh, mom and pop uh, retail shops around California. I mean, California is the largest retail market in the nation. So obviously because of our size, being the fifth largest economy in the world. Um, so retail is a huge um, contributor to the job market in California and also to California's economy, both at the state level, but in particular at the local level through uh, the sales tax revenue. Can you ballpark, ballpark us on how many retailers there are in the state or how many members you have? Oh, gosh. So I would say we have um, between um, probably retailers 400. I think the number we're using, and granted, this is pre-COVID-19, we were well over 400,000 um, retailers in the state of California, large and small. Um, I think we represent a good portion of the large, mostly all the national brands are members of the California Retailers Association. Um, and then we work regionally a lot of times with our local chambers of commerce to engage our independent retailers throughout California. So we touch almost every single retailer in the state. Great. Well, the helpful background for listeners, definitely one of the largest trade groups in the state, and you've got an enormous amount of issues on your plate right now. So, um, <laughs> but, but let me start with asking you to give kind of an overview of where the retailers are. Obviously, there's been enormous economic pain for the last six months. Um, do, do you have any estimates on, on the total economic loss to retailers or any, any way that you think of uh, quantifying kind of where, where they yeah. are in terms of both the downturn and the recovery? So I would say that, um, first of all, even before we went into kind of the year 2020 and, and particularly the COVID-19 pandemic, um, retail was already in a process of reinventing itself, um, particularly as we've really seen the rise of online shopping. Um, you know, we saw it rising before COVID, now it's exploded post-COVID. Um, so we were watching, you know, particularly some of our smaller, more independent retailers having a bit of a challenge. Um, even prior to, you're seeing some brick and mortar stores um, closing throughout the state just because of the, the prevalence of online marketplaces in California, well, nationally, but in California. And then COVID hit. And what happened in COVID when, when we first, you know, had in California nationally our shutdown, a lot of retailers said, okay, we're gonna do the right thing, we're gonna close, because first and foremost, our priority is the safety of our employees and our consumers. And then we, and I don't think anyone realized how long this closure would be. And keep in mind that even today as we speak, 
Um, I have, there are retailers that are still not open in the state of California. Um, even though the governor under his, per, his tiered plan has retail open at 25%, there are parts of the state, particularly Los Angeles County, where retail is still closed because they have chosen not to allow shopping malls to open in Los Angeles County. It's a huge market, second largest market um, right under New York City in terms of retail in the nation. And all of those malls are not open right now, which is highly impacting retailers in, in that county. So I think you're starting to see, we know Los Angeles County is an example. Uh, 15,000 small businesses have closed. Um, we're anticipating at least 7,500 will not open again. Um, I'm constantly getting phone calls from small, particularly independent retailers who have maxed out their credit cards. They've dipped into their 401ks. They're trying to um, maintain their, keep their doors open, particularly trying to kind of edge along through the holiday season in hopes that they'll be able to recoup some of their losses um, in the next two to three months. Um, but it's really difficult. It's really hard because A, you know, 25% capacity for retail, especially if you're a small retailer, doesn't work. Um, and part of what's happened in California is that you know, it's one of my frustrations, I would say, with um, policymakers in Sacramento and particularly and also with the administration is that we tend to look at California. We try to apply a cookie cutter approach to everything and we try to approach that whatever works in it for one industry. So and in, in take the case of a large big box store, a 25 percent capacity limit is not going to impact them the same way it's going to impact a 900 square foot retailer in Los Angeles. And so instead of providing some opportunity and some give and take when it came with these guidelines to really take into, um, take into consideration the impacts it was going to have, particularly on, and we hear so much from our legislature, we hear so much from the governor, we want to protect small business, we want small business to thrive in California, but the guidelines that were put out, particularly for COVID, have duly, you know, really impacted our smaller businesses more so than it has our larger businesses. And I think for me, you know, I, I love all retailers equally, but I will say I've seen it really disproportionately impact our small retailers who mm -hmm. don't have the uh, capability to recover as quickly as some of the larger ones. So I think we're going to see more retailers close. Um, I think you're just, you know, San Francisco, 54% of small businesses are closed right now in the city. We'll see if it comes back, but there are some things coming down the pipeline, um, some initiatives on the ballot that will make it even more difficult for small businesses to recover from COVID. And I think that we're going to be surprised come January, February, where you're going to see neighborhoods and, and these, these towns and such seeing the vacancy rate of retail that couldn't survive. Well, and we're definitely going to get into those ballot measures. I want, I want to talk about a few of them in particular, but um, that's a great tee up to kind of where we are with the reopening. And, I, and I'd love to hear what you think the state should be doing. It, you know, it's, it sounds like communications with the administration in particular have been frustrating, but how would you like to see them make more accommodations for the small retailers? You know, um, so we started back in, in you know, obviously, as, as soon as we kind of kind of caught our breath and, and we were advocating for um, businesses to open in California safely. And I think that's the most important concept is that it all has to be done safely. 
Um, you know, we were fortunate in the retail industry because we had some retailers that were quote unquote deemed essential, meaning um, I represent a lot of grocery stores. And so grocery stores, some of those stores, you know, you saw they were deemed essential, they were open. So we were given that, you know, actually a pretty good opportunity to kind of learn from, from those stores what worked and what didn't work. And, you know, we were working with Cal OSHA. We were working on guidelines. We we really wanted to be as active a participant in the guidelines as possible because we really do, you know, for retail especially, um, it's such a competitive business and such a competitive industry that every retailer is in their best interest to make sure, first and foremost, they're protecting their consumers and protecting their employees, right? So that's where we were coming from. And I think that as things were starting to come out, um, we were making progress. I think we were okay with, with how things were opening up. And then we were shut down again. And now we've moved to a tier system that, you know, our biggest challenge is turning things on and off again. You know, it's very difficult for smaller retailers in particular when they invest in PPE, they've invested in things to protect their consumer employees. They bake that into their budget. They're looking at how they're going to spend their money. And then suddenly they're closed. Or at one point, I think we were dealing with over 700 different local ordinances in California related to COVID. I mean, my spreadsheet, I, you, could, you could barely kind of keep it all straight. Um, then we went into, you, in this city, you had to wear a mask. In that city, you didn't. We got in kind of the mask wars. I think we've kind of moved past that now. But I think at this point, we're about seven months into COVID. Um, we have other states that have opened safely, that have opened retail safely. And I think that at this point, we're at 3.1 positivity rate in the state of California, which we are the large, I mean, we're just, we're the biggest state, right, in terms of population. I think that there are ways that we could be doing this when that allow people to get back to work, that allow stores to be open, that allow people, particularly our smaller independent retailers, to try to recoup some of their losses. And unfortunately, I just think that we're, you know, we're not there. I don't think that the administration, you know, we talk about today as an example, you can't even apply for unemployment, right? Because EDD has been shut down for two weeks. So you're just going to take it offline. So, you know, so you look at that and, and I think to myself, we have folks that want to get back to work. We have stores that want to open that can do so safely, but they're not being allowed to by the government. And a perfect example is the County of Los Angeles. I mean, the fact that they're arbitrarily choosing that shopping malls cannot open when they're open in every other place in the state, they're pretty much open everywhere else in the country, and yet, by them not allowing in the second largest retail market in the country to open, how many people aren't working? How many, you know, and those are full of some of those, those malls in, in Los Angeles County are, are also mom and pop stores. And when you hear the stories about them wanting to get back to work, who have invested in the safety measures that they need to do to open safely. And when we ask the county, well, what's your reasoning? They can't tell you. You know, I think for me, the biggest challenge is that when we were told, when, when we first started this, we were told everything was going to be based on data, 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 data. And originally it was, we need to get our hospitalizations and our ICU rates down so that we could have the capacity in case there was a surge. 
Last week, our capacity rate in California for our hospitalization was 3% being used for COVID. 8% of ICU beds are being used for COVID. So the question is, if we're based on data, we need to see the data. It needs to be transparent. And I think we all need to be working together to really even work towards a recovery for our economy and our workforce in California. Let me ask you about the, the tiered system. Um, it's obviously been a point of a lot of controversy since it's come out. Uh, the administration says, and I've heard different really conflicting things about this, um, they, they say there was a lot of input from various trade groups into that tiered system. And, and, and let me ask you specifically, did, did you guys actually have any input in, into the tiered system? So we had input. Um, it wasn't the tiered, it was the first, whatever the first system was. <laughs> when we first, yeah, when the, the first guidelines yeah, first came out, I don't know what list. you want to call that. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah the yeah, watch, the watch list, list, all of right. that one. So we had input on that and we had actually, um, we were proactive in sending back um, and sending the administration. We, we went out and I talked with Mendel companies and we put forward along with our friends over at the shopping malls, we put forward, these are guidelines that, that we want to implement, right, from the industry. So here you go. And that was when that led to the guidelines that came out when they did that whole watch list. When they moved through this tier system, um, they called me, they talked to me. I will be honest, what they told me and what was announced were two different things. Um, the numbers changed. So when they asked for my input, and I said, well, okay, we might be able to to live with that on capacity limits. I was told that it was 50%, not 25. And then suddenly it got, it got changed to 25%, um, wow. which was a big deal for, for retail. And, and the other piece of it that again, when you talk about data, right? And we talk about being data driven, then they carved out independent grocery stores. Well, again, if you are looking at the facility, you're looking at the building, you're looking at safety protocols, right? What is, so now we're basing it before it was based on essential, non-essential, right? That's what it was before. Now, frankly, your capacity limit under purple, which is either 25% or 50%, is based on the goods that you sell. It's not based on, on data. It's not based on safety precautions. It's not based on any of those types of things. It's based solely on what items you sell. And if you're the case of like a Walmart or a Target, that also sells groceries in addition to other items, you are clear, you are, you are not defined as an independent grocery store. So you think about a safe way that is a independent grocery store, they're the same size as a Walmart, maybe in some cases smaller. A safe way can be at 50%, a Walmart, which happens to be the largest actual grocery chain in the country, is at 25%. What's the difference? I mean, and that's some of the problems that we run into when we're dealing with these guidelines is that I'm all for guidelines. I'm all for, let's have a set of rules that applies to everyone, but we don't have that. It's pick and choose among certain industries on what can be open and what can't. You know, in some places you have the barber shops, you have the barber shops and the hair salons that are open, but not nail salons. Well, frankly, if you go to a nail salon, you're, you're sitting, a lot of times there's a sneeze guard between you and someone doing your nails. And you probably, if you both have hair, you both have face masks on, right? Well, when you're getting your hair done, you don't have that. But, so why can a hair salon and barbershop be open and not a nail salon? 
So those are where you start to ask questions on, okay, what criteria are you really using? And I would say that I think they did talk to industries as long as the industries agreed with what the administrative administration wanted in their guidelines. And I, I just think at this point, um, I, I'm very much a big fan of if there's a retailer who's not following the guidelines, they should absolutely be shut down. And trust me, I have walked into retail establishments and if I see they're not following the guidelines, I call them out on it. And if it's a national chain, I call their corporate office because I feel that strongly that as an industry, we have to self-regulate, right? Absolutely. But we're punishing businesses and particularly small businesses for what? I mean, I don't think the data matches the level of constraint that's been put on business. I think that there is a way that, that we could all be working together. I've had numerous conversations with the governor's office all the way up to the chief of staff. I've had calls with the task force, Tom Steyer. We've put it out there. We've tried to work with them. And unfortunately, they've decided this is how we're gonna do it. And, they, and, and my fear is that to what end, right? I mean, we have the fifth large highest um, unemployment rate in the nation. We have the 17% of California, the highest number in, in any part of, of the United States, highest poverty rate now is in California. I mean, we have to also think about this economic pandemic and what's going to be left. And I think that's something that we're just, the, the administration is not looking at right now. I'm glad you mentioned the economic task force because that's exactly what I was going to ask you about next. This is um, one of the great mysteries of, of the administration to me and I think a lot of others. Um, and and actually your call that you just referenced him is one of the first signs that, I, that I've seen in a while that the thing actually exists and is functioning in any form. Uh, we, we, we were told in the beginning, I don't know if you remember the announcement, this is going to be a real time task force. It wasn't going to be like another committee that did a bunch of reports. They were going to be implementing solutions as they went. And it's it's really difficult for me to find actually a single thing that they have done since they've been in existence. Um, and, and I'm, you know, you've had some interaction with them. I'd love to hear more about that. What, what is what is your take on on what what the task force is actually doing? Uh, nothing. Um, I, I mean, I, I think that, you know, well, first of all, when you have a task force, frankly, of 100 plus people, yeah. I mean, right there, you know, I mean, when we first heard about a task force, I think many of us are great. We, we'd love for him to have a task force, right? Absolutely. We're thinking 10 to 12 people, kitchen cabinet kind of thing, get the best and brightest around the table hash some of this out, that would be awesome, right? And let's really focus on how do we safely get this pandemic under control and how do we safely reopen our economy, right? That, that's what we thought was gonna happen. And then we're up to 100 people and great people, don't get me wrong. I mean, phenomenal people who bring a lot of expertise from different areas to the table, absolutely. But to your point, for what? What, what have they done? um you know what what's come out of it we were told a couple weeks ago there was a big report coming out of the task force um we haven't seen that there hasn't been a, a report coming out um i i don't know that we as californians know what the task force did 
Um, you know, and so I think there's, I know there's frustration about members of the task force because there are sectors represented on the task force that are still not open in California. I think that you had an opportunity to have some really incredibly smart business people and leaders from the state of California really come up with innovative ways to restart our economy. And I think it was a missed opportunity. Um, you know, I don't know if they're, they're still meeting. I think it was, you know, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I'm a very action-oriented person. So um, if I'm going to be part of something, I want to see the action items come out of that. And I, I don't think we've seen any action items. Um, and I think that's disappointing because I think this was an incredible opportunity to bring the private and public sector together to really try to protect Californians, both from a health a health standpoint, but also um, from an economic standpoint, and I think we missed the mark. Um, I don't think it's a fault of the um, task force members. I, I've talked to many of them. I know many of them. I think they really were went in there with the expectation of rolling up their sleeves and doing the best job they can for California. And I think they had that perspective, but I think there were certain powers that be that had other political agendas, and if you didn't fit in with that political agenda, then you know, we, we weren't going to move forward. I mean, by this point, seven months in, we should be a lot farther than we are in terms of we should not be seeing 17% um, poverty in California. We should not be seeing an EDD that cannot accept um, claims for the next two weeks. I mean, that should have been on the task force radar a long time ago, realizing that when you close down the economy, you're going to increase unemployment claims in the state of California. You know, I, I get that that we've got antiquated computer systems in the state, but really it's 2020, it's almost 2021. I can shop on my phone, I can FaceTime on my phone, I can do all kinds of things. We're home to Silicon Valley. That would have been a perfect action item for this task force to have tackled, and they probably could have tackled it sooner so that now we don't have a backlog that could take up until the end of January to even get through. I mean, these poor people are suffering in California. The state government has a responsibility to take care. That's what the state government is there to do. And yet we're having task force and strike teams, and all this other stuff, but we got to solve the problems. And the problem is we've got to get people back to work safely in California, which I know from a retail perspective, from the retail industry, we know we can do. And unfortunately it's the government who's not allowing us to do that. I want to leave just a little bit of time to talk about Prop 15 and, and a little bit about some of the other tax measures in the ballot. So, so let me let me just ask you to tee up. Um, you've been very vocal advocates against Prop 15. It seems like it's ahead in the polls, unfortunately. Um, what what is what is your take on kind of where the politics of this are? Is there still a chance to stop Prop 15, or or do you think that the public has already made up its mind? Um, I think there's absolutely a chance to stop it. I mean, even though I think it's the last PPIC poll had it at 51%, and typically you need to be at least 60% um, going into kind of the home stretch of the election cycle. Um, so I think that um, there's there's absolutely an incredible chance to beat Prop 15. And, and you know, here's why this is so important. And it, it's something I struggle with just because I look at things from a pragmatic perspective. Why are we going to pass the largest property tax increase in the state of California's history 
at a time where we have record unemployment and 17% poverty in California. Why are we going to burden our small businesses that are closing where we know, you know, like I mentioned before, 54% of businesses in San Francisco are closed. 15,000 are closed as of now in LA, half of which 7,500 will not reopen. And that's just in those two large cities. Think about across the state. I get calls, and you know, I, I have an office downtown Sacramento. I grew up to five different restaurants around there that have shut their doors and are not reopening. If you go downtown, it's a, it's a ghost town right now. Um, and why are we going to burden them? Because as much as the proponents of Prop 15 want to say, this is the big corporations that are going to pay it, that's not true. It's going to be the small businesses that are going to pay it, but more importantly, it's going to be every Californian who's going to pay it because you're going to pay it in increased grocery costs, increased daycare costs. It's going to cost more for your produce, your electricity, your solar, whatever Californians are going to pay it. And so for me, I think we should all be focused collectively, both the public and the private sector, on how do we stimulate our economy? How do we get people back to work? Because if we get people back to work and we really stimulate our economy, that means people have more money in their pocket. And what are they going to do? They're going to spend it, right? They're going to spend money that will lead to, before we went into COVID, we had a record surplus of the state of California in our state budget. We had money that's been erased because of COVID. So instead of raising taxes right now, let's focus on stimulating our economy, getting back to where we were before, because then we all benefit without having to put more due pressure on our small businesses and our consumers in the state. Yeah, I mean, well said. And, and in addition to, to Prop 15, which as you, as you importantly point out, it's the largest property tax increase in the history of the state. There are countless local tax increases on the ballot. This, I think this is an issue that hasn't gotten a lot of attention because so many of them were pushed through at the last minute of filing deadlines. Um, by my count, there's actually 37 pending tax increases in the Bay Area alone. That's in addition to Prop 15. And, I, and I'm really worried about the cumulative impact of all these things you know, at prop 15 and then you know it'll probably be one or even two additional local tax increases on top of that and that's before the legislature has even gotten going with their conversations <laughs> about a millionaire tax a wealth yeah. tax a, a, yeah. a, a unrealized capital gains tax i, I mean um you know what do you what do you make of the politics here? I mean, it's we've certainly you know been a state in the past that's been willing to go along with things like Prop Thirty and some very high profile tax increases, but but the um, th this is different. It strikes me that this is different in scale and quantity than when we've ever seen before. You know, um, it's interesting. I was talking to a friend of mine Friday night. And I was with some some friends and we were just having drinks and just talking. And typically we don't talk about politics because we all have different viewpoints on politics. And, you know, in, in this kind of hypercharged political environment, sometimes you just want to hang with your friends and have a drink. But my friend brought it up to me. And he is a, you know, I'd say very liberal Democrat. And he even said to me, Rachel, what the hell's going on? He's like, I I just I can't do this anymore. That we are um you know, the cost of living is so expensive. 
I mean, you, you see the exodus, and there is an exodus. I mean, I know yeah. some people don't want to admit that, but there are people. No, I mean, her dad is there. I mean, we, yeah, we had yeah. more people leave the state last year for the first time in Correct. 10 years. It's just a fact. Yeah. And so it's, I think that, I think that the, and typically the, the, these tax um, proposals are labor, typically are the ones that are pushing in. I can certainly say that in the, in the case of Prop 15 being pushed by the Teachers Association and, and the labor um, public employees. And I think they're overplaying their hand because I think that when you go to, I know for me, you know, my husband and I have tried really hard to go out, even when you can go to a restaurant, we, you know, once or twice a week tried to order from a, a mom and pop restaurant in our community because we wanted to see them um, stay in business. You know, even now we try to go out to eat if we can and, and really utilize and, and, and give back to our small businesses in our community. And I think that that's what people have been doing up, in, up and down California. And when they keep hearing about instead of us investing and helping these businesses survive and instead we're going to saddle them with more taxes, which I think people are smart enough in California to know that when those taxes go up, their taxes go up. And mm -hmm we have the highest cost of living in the nation in California. And as much as I love the beach, I'm a beach girl. I grew up in Southern California. Um, I, I love California. I love our, the, the climate that we have here. There's gonna come a point where more and more people are gonna leave and what are we left with? I mean, you, you know, we need to think about the future ramifications of taxing, taxing, taxing. And instead, let's invest. Let's invest in small business. Let's invest in our economies by making sure people can, can get to work. Let's invest in our education. Let's invest in terms of thinking outside the box and how public and private entities can work together instead of this constant barrage that business has to pay for everything. And, you know, and, I, and I'll share with you on a call I had, and I had two um, CEOs with me um, who said directly to the governor's office, we are almost to the point where we're leaving. We are leaving yeah. the state. We cannot do this anymore. And I was surprised, frankly, on the call that both of the CEOs said this because I'm like, wow, you know, oh my gosh. And that's the reality. And I think that there is a miss, I think that, that some people aren't hearing it or they're choosing not to hear it. Because if we don't start thinking about how to get out of COVID, and how to do it in a way that is going to bring jobs back, that's going to allow businesses to thrive, which in turn allows sales tax revenue to increase for our local cities, which in turn brings back property or personal income tax, which goes into the state budget, which helps fund education and all of that. If we don't think, think about how we can fundamentally stir that and get that going again, you, you know, California, is, it's never going to recover from this. It, this is a long-term recovery. We are in a recession, and our choice now in November is do we try to combat the recession by investing in saying no to these tax increases and in turn saying we want to see our businesses thrive, or are we going to saddle our businesses and in turn um, saddle California consumers with paying more to live here? And I think if that happens, you're going to see people leaving the state even more so than you do now. Well, Rachel, I, I could talk to you all day about this stuff. Um, I'm really <laughs> grateful that you're, you're leading the fight sure. on these things. Um, where can people find out more about your organization? And if they want to get involved, where should they go? Sure, you can go to calretailers.com. Um, 
Um, and you can Google us. We're on Facebook, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn. Um, pretty easy to find me. Um, and, you know, welcome any comments, suggestions, anyone who wants to hear more about either right now, obviously Prop 15 is something I'm very much engaged in, um, but also really how we can help, particularly our smaller retailers in California, um, survive and thrive and, and recover from, you know, the, the COVID pandemic, both in a safe way, but in also a way that they can still be, um, you know, great contributors and active participants in their local communities. Well, great. Thank you so much for being on the show. Great to have you. I uh, really hope you can start to make some progress with all of that impeccable logic that you just laid out. And, uh, and certainly hope that people who hear this, who agree, will help share this episode with their friends, their colleagues, and, and other business community leaders throughout the state. So thanks again, Rachel. Great. Thanks again for having me. Thanks for listening to Nation State of Play. Our producers are Hannah Miller and Jacqueline Artiaga. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. For more information, click through the link on your podcast app to our homepage. 